Luke chapter 1, let's go ahead and jump in because we got a lot of verses that, Lord willing, we're going, uh, that we're going to cover. Um, in chapter 1, verse 39, it says, Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias, and she saluted Elizabeth. So we talked the last couple weeks about the two encounters of the angel Gabriel. He appears to Zacharias. Um, in the temple and and tells him that you're gonna you guys you and your wife you're gonna have a baby and he's uh, Zacharias is 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 shocked for a number of different reasons about this Zacharias doesn't believe the angel so Zacharias can't speak he can't speak until we're gonna see until the birth of John their son well then uh, Gabriel the angel appears to Mary and tells Mary Similar announcement. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. Mary, all those prophecies that you know about, that you've read about, of, of, a, of a virgin giving birth to a, a son and, and how that, that child would, is going to be Jesus, the Messiah. Well, Mary, you're that virgin. And Mary's taken back by this. She's alarmed at this. She's shocked by this. But yet then she's going to respond with great faith. Um, and now we pick that up in verse number 39. Mary now is going to go and visit her cousin Elizabeth. So she's going to go and be encouraged by Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who is much older than Mary, uh, is going to speak life into her. She's going to speak encouragement into her. So Mary's going to travel anywhere from like 50 to 70 miles to go and see Elizabeth. So it's a, basically from here to Iowa City. She's taking a trip, but for us, no big deal. We can jump in the car and we can do it in 45 minutes or an hour, depending on how fast you're going. Well, keep in mind, Mary's probably traveling on a donkey or, or some kind of animal. This is a long journey for, for Mary, but she's going to go. She's going to visit our cousin Elizabeth and Zacharias, and she's going to receive encouragement from her. And I love this. Here's a younger person who is now going to go to an older person for advice, for just encouragement. And Elizabeth's going to speak life into her. And this is an important principle for us that we have people in our, in our circle, in our life, that are going to speak life and speak encouragement to us, that are going to give us advice, give us wisdom. And this is what is really beautiful about our church to see that it is, we have every age group represented. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Look for, for some of you maybe that are just, just, you're, you're just starting out in life. You're a teen or you're a young adult. And to be able to have godly people who have been faithful, who have seen some things, who have gone through a lot of pain and sorrow and heartbreak and a lot of joy and a lot of victories to be able to speak life and encouragement into you. And this is what I love. One of the many things I love about our church is that every age group is represented. Well, Mary's going to travel. She's going to go to her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, she is, uh, verse 40 says that when she entered the house of Zacharias, so she's going to greet Elizabeth here. In verse 41, it says, it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. So Elizabeth is pregnant at this time, right? With John the Baptist. And when, when she hears Mary's voice, it says that the, 
the babe in her womb leaped for joy. I don't know exactly what that means, right? Maybe it was a hard kick, something where she knew, man, something happened. And it's interesting here, this word babe. So Luke, keep in mind, highly educated. He's a physician. He uses the same Greek word here as he's going to use in the next chapter, talking about when Jesus was born. So he's using the same term. This is a human being in the womb and outside of the womb. And we know this. We know this biblically. We know this scientifically, that it is undisputed. And Luke is, is uh, writing to us as a physician, and he's using this same word for both the baby in the womb and out of the womb. It says that she spake without with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among, among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And what is this to me? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. This is the first person we see in the New Testament that refers to Jesus as Lord. Well, Elizabeth obviously is, is a believer in, and, and, and with this whole scenario with the angel visiting her husband Zacharias and this miraculous birth, we see that, that Elizabeth is, um, is understanding what the significance of all of this. And Mary is too. Mary is too. Now, do, you, do we think that they have a full grasp of, of how everything will look? Well, no, of course not. But Mary and, and Zechariah, they've been visited by an angel, by a heavenly being, by Gabriel, the angel that's going to tell them what's about to happen. As for as soon as the voice of my salutation sounded in my womb, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. So here we have Elizabeth who had this hurt, this pain, for years and years and years. Remember, Elizabeth and Zacharias, they were faithful serving God. They were godly, but yet they had this sorrow. They had this pain. And you, we see how now that God is going to bring healing to that pain, God is miraculously going to give them a child. And now Elizabeth is going to be healed from that hurt to then be able to speak life and blessing into someone else. And this is how God works. This is how the spirit of God works. And perhaps you've experienced that. You've had a pain, a heartache, a sorrow. You walk through something you never thought you'd ever have to walk through. And yet God brought that in your life and God was faithful to you. God is faithful to you. He walked with you and is currently walking with you through that. And there's a purpose in it. There's a purpose in it. God's going to reveal and teach us things about him and his love and his character and his grace and his mercy in our heart. God's also going to use that so that we then who have been healed or are healing from pain and sorrow, we can then walk with others through that same thing. We can then speak life into others. We can speak hope into others. Well, this is what Elizabeth is doing. She's been healed from her hurt, and now God's using her to be a blessing and to be an encouragement to others. And now we're going to see that Mary's going to sing this beautiful song of praise to God. And Mary's going to act in faith. Now there's a lot that could stress her out. There's a lot that could cause her fear and worry, her reputation. 
her reputation with Joseph, how this is going to work out, how that the, her life is going to be way different than what she ever imagined. But yet, Mary is going to speak blessing. Mary is going to rejoice. Mary is going to act in faith. It says, Mary said, my soul says, magnifies the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in the God of my Savior. For he's regarded the lowest state of his handmaid. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm and scattered the proud and the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted the low them of low degree. He filled the hungry with good things, the rich he has sent away empty. So she's now speaking this song of, of praise. She's rejoicing in God. She's got a lot she could be stressed about. But instead, what's she going to do? She's going to put her focus on who God is. Now that just, right, it sounds just very, just trite. And it sounds just, just very obvious. Okay, well, she's going to focus on God, not her problems. Like we hear that a lot. Focus on God. Not your problem. Well, easier said than done when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel just buried with anxiety and you feel buried with, with grief and you feel buried with just sorrow. But yet she's saying that, look, instead of fear, instead of this anxiety, instead of this stress and worry, she's going to magnify the Lord. And this gives reference to, yes, speaking out and rejoicing, but it also gives reference to her focus is going to be upon God. She's going to magnify God. Her focus and gaze is going to be looking upon God, not all of the things that are causing her to worry and fear. Maybe for you today, you find yourself at a place where you're very overwhelmed. You've got a lot of anxiety about situations. You've got a lot of maybe just sorrow and hurt about situations. There's a lot of fear of just the unknown, things that are beyond your control. And here's the thing, that's what stress and anxiety is, right? We're, we're not so much worried about what we can fix and what we can control. We're worried about the things that are beyond our control. Now, is it true that sometimes stress is self-inflicted because of poor decisions, uh, just because of not following God, of not, basically not just following the wisdom that God's given us in his word? Absolutely. That can definitely be, be the case. You know, you put things off to the last minute and then complain about how stressed you are. Well, God's going to help you through that, but plan a little bit better. Or maybe you're stressed about finances because you just weren't wise with it. You wasted, you, 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 you spent friv frivolously and you, you just weren't a good steward. Well, okay, God's still going to walk you through that, but then make better choices. Fo follow Follow the wisdom that God has, has given you. Don't keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again. So sometimes their stress, it's self-inflicted, right? We bring it on ourselves, or then we try to then throw it on someone else. We're irresponsible. We don't plan. And then you throw it all on someone else to fix it. And maybe that's a source of stress for you because someone's done that to you. Well, there's definitely categories of things that we need to change and do different, do better. 
But I would guess that in here today, the vast majority of you, you're stressed and anxious over situations that are way beyond your control. Like you can't change it. There's nothing you, you can do to fix it. And, well, this is with Mary right now. She doesn't really know what to do. She's trusting, right? She's been visited by an angel. Joseph had as well. We read in the account in Matthew's gospel. But there's still so much uncertainty. There's a lot that would cause stress. There's a lot that would cause fear. And so she's going to remember who God is. She's going to magnify the Lord. So my spirit rejoiced in God, my Savior. That she's recognizing that he is the Savior. That he rules and he reigns. Here's a really, I'm going to just, I'm going to hit you with this incredibly um, new theological truth that you've never heard. Are you ready? God's God and you're not. And I'm not. There are times I think that we are stressed and anxious because we're taking on things that were never meant for us to even carry. Now, I don't mean like not walking through difficult times. Like, of course, like God is going to walk with us through that and we're going to battle through that. But stop taking things on yourself that you cannot change and that you have no control over. And that's easier said than done. I get that. But many times we just need to realize I'm not a savior. I'm not someone else's savior. Like you can't be your spouse's savior. You can't be your children's savior. You can't be your friend's savior. Now, should you be there for people in, in hard times? Absolutely. Walking with people, helping carry some of that burden. But the thing is, you're not their savior. I'm not their savior. I would do anything for my wife. I, I'd be there for her. I would lay my life down for her. But here's the thing. I hope that I'm a good husband, but I make a horrible savior. And so do you. See, for some of you, this anxiety and this stress is because your focus is on how you're going to fix it, what you're going to do, what you're going to change. And, and yeah, are there things that you should practically be looking at that you can do in situations? Absolutely do it. But you're not a savior to anyone. You and I need a savior. And thank God we have one through Jesus Christ. Amen. Just saying that God is the one. He is my, I have rejoiced in God, my savior. Says that he's regarded the low estate. It said that that now that that all generations they're going to call her blessed. So she's saying this not in arrogance; it's actually in humility. Say, who am I? That God, that God would use me, that God would visit me. Her focus is not on how great she is, but on who God is. He is good. Says he that is mighty has done to me great things. Holy is his name, saying that God is mighty. He is strong, and we're not. We're weak. And you know what? This is something that I think is one, not the only, only thing, but one of the main things that God reveals to us during difficulties and, and during trials. Like, not in a, like, beating us down in a negative way, but bringing us down to where we recognize, no, we're not strong. 
that he is strong. He is our strength. Have you, have you ever been there? Like in, in a place of not necessarily arrogance, or maybe it's a little arrogant, but you just kind of thought, I'm ready for whatever, God. Like God, and, and once again, with depending upon his strength, but you're ready for it. You know, no situation's really going to shock you or surprise you because you've seen it. You've seen things. You've, you've, you've maybe, maybe if you're, you've lived a long time, you, but yet then a situation hits you that you're like, whoa, never saw that coming. And it shocks you. It, it takes you back a little bit and it just knocks you down. And many times during difficult trials, that's exactly what God is accomplishing through us. That's part of his sanctification in our life. Is he showing us and revealing to us that we need him. That we are weak and he is strong. That yes, we can be strong, but only through his might, through his strength. So that his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. So he has showed, he has showed the strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud. Looking, she's looking at just how God is the one that is the help. God is the one that is the strength. She's going to look back upon the, the past and remembering God's mercy. She said that how that in verse 55, that how that he, he spoke to our fathers and he mentions Abraham and his seed forever. And she's, this is something that's building her faith and her, she's rejoicing in God about how not only is God powerful, not only is God mighty, not only is God our source of strength, but he's a faithful and a merciful God. That he has showed that mercy and extended that mercy to generation upon generation and how that God will continue to be gracious and merciful. Mary abode there about three months with Elizabeth. You see that how Mary turns this worry into rejoicing. She turns this stress and anxiety into praise towards God. She's casting this burden upon the Lord. And God is now giving her a peace even in the chaos. She's worshiping God. And many times the worship towards God may not immediately change your present circumstances, but it's going to change you. This is what praise does. This is what prayer does. Prayer is not just making God our genie that grants every request we make. Prayer is many times aligning our heart to the will of our Father. And can we pray boldly and ask for great things? Of course. And sometimes God will give us those things and God will answer really specific prayer in a specific way. And the answer is yes. And other times the answer is, is no, because God has something better. And many times the answer is just waiting on God because it's in that waiting and that grief and that sorrow. What does God do? Well, to the true child of God, he molds us and he makes us, he refines us. He sanctifies us during that waiting time. And yet Mary is going to praise. She's going to worship instead of worry. When you, when you turn worry into worship, God will turn those battles into blessings. Now it's hard to think that now, especially if you're going through that really difficult time in life. It's hard to imagine how am I really God going to, am I really going to look back at this and actually thank you for 
this trial later. Of course we're not. Well, that's what we think now. But God is, is working even in the midst of what we think is tragedy and sorrow. And Mary here, instead of panicking, instead of worrying, she's casting that burden upon God. She is focusing and magnifying God. She's remembering his faithfulness. She's remembering his strength. She's remembering his might. She's remembering how God has been faithful from generation to generation. You know what would do all of us well is to count our blessings, to praise God for his goodness, to remember God's goodness. Look, I know some of you, you have experienced some of the greatest answers to prayer in this last year. And we've rejoiced together about some of those things. Don't panic. Don't fret. Don't worry. When that new trial comes, God's going to be faithful. God's been faithful to you. God's been faithful to me. God has been faithful to his people forever. And he'll continue to be faithful. Verses 57 now through the end of the chapter, we see now Luke's going to shift gears and he's going to tell us about the birth of John the Baptist. So when Elizabeth full-time came that she should be delivered, that she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed mercy upon her and they rejoiced with her. There's a celebration. This is a miracle, something that they prayed for for decades and God has answered this prayer and they are now rejoicing with her. Listen, surround yourself with people that are going to rejoice when it's time to rejoice with you. Surround yourself with those people that aren't going to be jealous of you when good things happen. They're actually going to celebrate with you. They're going to rejoice during those times. Yes, you need people that are going to weep with you and mourn with you when it's time to mourn. But also, surround yourself with people that are happy for you when God blesses and when those good things happen. Well, they're rejoicing here. She's given birth to a son. And so it says, it came to pass on the eighth day, they, they went to circumcise a child and they called him Zacharias, right? That's just, this is part of the answer to prayer. They've got a son. He's going to pass on this name. But the angel told Zacharias, no, you're going to name the baby John. And his mother answered and said, not so. He's going to be called John. But they said, look, there's nobody of your kindred, nobody of your family that's called by this name. And and so they're kind of pushing back, like, are you in your right frame of mind? Are you just so elated and so excited that you're not thinking straight? No, you're going to name him Zacharias after his father. Now, remember, Zacharias can't speak. So what does he do? He asked for a writing table and he wrote saying his name is John. So everybody marvels. They're amazed at this. Like, what's the logic? What's the reasoning behind this? And then verse 64, his mouth was opened immediately and his tongue loose and he spake and praised God and fear came upon all them that dwelled round about them. And all these sayings, they were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. I bet it was. And when they heard them, they laid them upon their hearts saying, what manner of child shall this be? The hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited, redeemed his people. So when, she, when Elizabeth gives birth to, to John, everybody around saying, what are you going to name him? It's, it's going to be after his father. It's going to be Zacharias. And Zacharias writes down, his name is 
John. This is what Gabriel told him the name of his child would be. And then now Zacharias, after months of not being able to speak, is going to open his mouth. God's going God's to allow him to speak. And what's the first thing he's going to do is praise God. He's going to sing this song of praise, this of prophecy. He's going to prophesy and he's going to give praise to God. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. So this word visit, this isn't a casual, I'm going to go pay a visit to someone. Sit down with them and have a cup of tea and, and visit and talk and catch up. No, it, it, it's much more meaningful than that. When he's saying that because of the birth of John, who's going to be the forerunner of Jesus, the Messiah, and prepare the way for the Messiah, their Redeemer. He's saying God has answered this prayer. God has kept his promise. God has visited his people. That word visited, it means to look upon in order to help. That because of God's miraculous work here with the Messiah who's going to come, he's saying this is God visiting his people. This is God helping his people. This is God coming to the rescue. Maybe today you feel like you just desperately need for God to visit you. You need God to come to your rescue. You need God to intervene on your behalf. Well, the good news is you have a God who will, a God who is, a God who does not just abandon his people, but a God that hears the cries of his people, a God that keeps his promise to his people, a God that is faithful to his people. We say that he has visited his people and redeemed. He uses this word redeemed. He's visited and redeemed his people. So when we hear the word redeemed, we Im immediately think theological as we should. That we are redeemed, we are purchased with the blood of Christ. When they, when they would have heard this word redeemed, they would have thought more on an economical or have had more of an economical perspective at a time when there were thousands, hundreds of thousands of slaves in the Roman Empire. The only way to be free was if there would be someone that would be gracious enough to purchase you and purchase your freedom. This is how it worked. This was the only way that you could be relieved from that slavery and from that bondage is to be redeemed. Someone that would have to pay a redemption price to set you free. Well, this is very, very powerful as we look now and look at this is why Jesus came to redeem us, to purchase us, that we who are slaves to our sin. We are slaves to our sinful desires, but yet when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, He changes our heart. He has redeemed us. He has purchased us with His blood. That if you are redeemed, you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. That you now belong to Him. That you are His child. Why? Because He has purchased you with His blood. The debt that you and I owed for sin could never pay. That's why we need a savior in Jesus Christ, amen, that Jesus Christ has redeemed us. And, and, and here, um, Zacharias is prophesying of what all this means, saying the Lord has visited us. He has redeemed his people. 
He says he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, saying that the, because of the Messiah coming into the world, because of, of, of Jesus coming into the world, that we, that he, he said, we have a horn of salvation. This is a term of strength. Animals that have horns are known as animals that have strength and might. And he's saying that, that we have a savior that's mighty to save. The horn of salvation is coming because of this. And he said, he spake by the mouth of the holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all that hate us. And it's far more than just a salvation from the Roman Empire. It's far more than just a salvation from some of the things going on in their culture and their world. But it's a salvation of our soul, salvation from sin, salvation to be free now. In Jesus Christ, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant. God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. He will remember his oath. He will remember his promises. That he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in a holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. Who's saying we have been saved. For a purpose. We have been saved. So that we might serve him. In holiness. That we would serve him without fear. All the days of our life. That you and I. We have been redeemed. We have been saved. If you have personally. Trusted in Jesus Christ. To be your Lord and Savior. You have been redeemed. You have been bought. With a price. And we're reminded. We're reminded of this in the New Testament later in, in, or, or further on in the New Testament. We're reminded that we have been redeemed. We have been purchased so that what? We should then glorify God. That our life should be about living for his glory. That we should serve him with our life. We have been saved for a purpose. You've heard me say this phrase often that, that we're not just saved for heaven one day. We're saved now for the glory and praise of our Savior. That God has saved you for his glorious purpose. And that is to serve him. Zechariah is recognizing this. That we've been delivered from our enemies so that we might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him. All the days of our life. I love this phrase. All the days of our life. May we... Realize that God has redeemed us so that we could serve him all of our days. That, that following God, serving God is a lifetime. And there, there's no greater heartbreak for me, for you, than to see people. Maybe people close to you that, that once loved God and followed God and served God. That now God's really not in the picture. In the sense of. Every decision they make is just God's nowhere to be found. It's just they're living their life like, like God's not present. And that God's glory and God's praise and God's purpose is irrelevant to them. And it's heartbreaking. Now ultimately, I don't know their heart. And I don't know if they're truly a believer or not. We do know scripture teaches that a true saving faith is an enduring faith. 
could be that there's just moments or maybe a season of life they're not walking with the Lord like they should and, and they're going to come back to that place of, of where they need to be with the Lord. But may our desire be this, that we would serve him without fear all of our days. No matter what happens in life, no matter what trial you face, no matter what pain you walk through, no matter what, what hurt you face, even, even by other professing believers, even by maybe a church, even by people close to you, no matter even the trials that God brings in the sense of physical ailment or financial hardship, and no matter what happens, may we be determined that we're going to serve God and follow him all the days of our life. That's my greatest desire, that God would allow me to serve him all my days. And it may not look like serving him, teaching and preaching from a pulpit. Now, I believe that's what God's called me to do. I know that's what God's called me to do. I don't think he'll tell me to stop doing it, but whether or not I get up and teach and is irrelevant to whether I should serve God. That may we be faithful to him. Faithful, faithfully serving God all of our days. Because why? He's redeemed us. He has purchased us that we might serve him without fear. In holiness and in righteousness all the days of our life. And now, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. So Zechariah in this prophecy, it seems like he's kind of going back and forth, talking about John and then talking about the Messiah and, 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 and back and forth. And he recognizes to a certain extent that, that John, his son, is going to be the one to prepare the way for Jesus. And he says, now, child, you'll be called the prophet of the highest. So he said, you'll go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. So he's speaking life into his child, recognizing that John the Baptist, John the baptizer is going to be, have a significant role in preparing the hearts of people for the coming Messiah. And if we fast forward, we see this, that John the Baptist was the one that was preaching to people and preparing them that the Messiah is coming and and, and, and Jesus said of John the Baptist that he's the greatest born of women. And John the Baptist had a significant role in preparing the hearts of people and preparing people for the coming Messiah. After 400 years of what theologians call the, the silent years where God had not spoken that's recorded of a, of a prophet. And yet John the Baptist is going to come on the scene preaching John the Baptist is going to come on the scene to prepare the hearts of people. And John is very unconventional that we'll read about. John, it makes a lot of people angry because of his boldness and the things that he says to shake people up. To get them to see their need and their sin. And, and eventually, John, they couldn't keep him quiet. So they executed him. They cut his head off. But yet John was going to grow up. To be the one to point people to the Messiah. To be the forerunner of Jesus. He says, through the tender mercy of our God. Verse 78. Now it seems like he's shifting back and, and talking about the Messiah. He says, the day spring from on high hath visited us. The day spring or the sunrise, the sunlight 
has come to visit us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That Jesus is the light of the world. The Messiah has come to bring light to a dark world. We read in the gospel of John where John the apostle is recording about John the Baptist. That he's also recording about Jesus. And he, he says that, that the light has come into the world. That Jesus is the light and the light, he says, shines in darkness. And I love this phrase. He says that the darkness couldn't overcome it. It couldn't overpower it. Because the light of Jesus Christ is so bright and so powerful that all the forces of Satan and evil and darkness could not overpower it. This is glorious. This is why we rejoice. Because the light has come that Jesus Christ has come. The light of the world. He has come to save us. Jesus was born as the Messiah. He was born as the light of the world to be our Savior. We read about a miraculous birth of John. How that he would be the one to prepare people for the Messiah. This next weekend, we're going to read about the miraculous birth of Jesus and how significant that that is. We're going to read and study and preach through a passage that you've probably read dozens, if not hundreds of times. But yet every time we read it, every time we study it, it's just as powerful. But what we see here is this miraculous birth of John, that God kept his promises. We see that how Mary is rejoicing and Zacharias is rejoicing because to a certain extent they've realized how significant this is, that the light has come into the world, that God has kept his promises, that God is faithful, that you and I have a savior that we all so desperately need in Jesus Christ. Maybe today you're here and honestly, you just got a lot on your heart, a lot on your mind and know this, that you have a God that loves you, you a God that has visited you, a God who entered his own creation and he felt the things you feel. He experienced those things that you and I feel. The only difference is he never sinned. He was perfect, the holy, righteous son of God, but yet he experienced the pain, the sorrow, the heartbreak. He experienced that. He knows not just because he's God who created us, but because he experienced those things that we experience, and so that he can understand by experience the things that you and I walk through. You have a God that's there for you, that cares for you. And maybe today you and I need to just focus upon what Mary did, focus on God's strength and God's might. We need to just put to rest the things we can't change. The things that we have zero control over and recognize, God, I can't change it. You can, and I'm asking for you to change it. And God, if you don't, it must be because that you have a glorious purpose in allowing me to walk through this and you're molding me and you're shaping me and you're making me, conforming me to be more like you. And God, I rest in that and I trust in that. You are great. I'm not. You're a savior. I am not. 
and when our focus turns upon who God is, when our focus turns upon praise to God, God's going to take those trials, those difficulties, and he's going to turn those into blessings instead of things that cause us fear and things that cause us anxiety. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. May you know that Jesus Christ came to save you, that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins. That Jesus Christ came to save you. Listen, not just from difficult situations and circumstances in life. You and I need to be saved from not just those hard times in life. We need to be saved from our sin. We need to have a right relationship with God that only comes through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if you have never turned to faith in Jesus Christ, repented of your sin, recognize that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Recognize that He is the only one that can redeem you and purchase you and, and pay for your sins. Today, humble yourself. Turn to faith in Jesus Christ. Call upon Him to save you. And you will have a Savior, not just who will help you through the things in this life, but a Savior that will save you from your sins, that will redeem you and give you purpose and meaning in life. Father God.